I'm Ryan Freeman, and you're listening to Workshop. John Flowers is a street and portrait photographer based in Toronto, Canada. We actually met when we were in high school, and I've seen him pursue photography and now work as a professional photographer full-time. It's been extremely inspiring and motivating to see him take the plunge and throw himself 100% into his craft and business. He's not only one of my favorite photographers, but he's also one of my favorite people. He's extremely positive, introspective, and always raises up the people around him. I always love chatting with my friend, John Flowers. So you're a photographer, you're an amazing street photographer. Um, I always love getting together with you. We always have really great conversations. Um, very, You're a very creative person, extremely passionate. Um, and we've we've actually known each other for a little over a decade now, which is pretty hard, amazing. hard to believe. I think we, we met when we were like 18, yeah. seven, 17, 17 or 18, yeah, 17. something pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but I, I just wanted you to share a bit of your, your journey and your story and how you were in a fairly comfortable job um, and you were fairly happy being there. But I guess you expressed to me that you weren't, necessarily creatively happy. So what was going through your mind um, when you were at this job and you were deciding to leave? Because I think a lot of people find themselves in that position where they're in that comfortable job, but they're just not necessarily being fulfilled creatively. So what was that struggle and what are some things that helped you overcome that? Just right off the bat with the tough questions. We're going in deep. I like it. (laughs) That's funny. So the process of the process of me ending up in Lost's Creative Studios downtown Toronto, it's uh, <laughs> it hasn't been all butterflies and rainbows. I'll tell you that. Yeah, there's been uh, there's there's been there's been beauty. There's been pain. It's uh, it's been a journey. So uh, I guess, I guess we'll we'll start with um, how how did I leave my job? So I I I was, I was an accountant at a uh, at a construction company. Mm-hmm. It's a pre- pretty cool job. Um, my company was building some really neat things and they're kind of, it's kind of creative in a sense like that. It's creating something from nothing, which is kind of interesting about the construction industry, you know, building a condo from the ground up, you know, it's a parking lot and then it becomes a condo. It's, yeah. uh, it was kind of cool. It was cool. It was also cool being around, um, the, uh, the engineers with their modeling software and that kind of stuff. And there, there's so many moving parts that I found it pretty interesting. But um, how did I go from that to here? It was uh, it was a risk. I took a risk. I took the plunge. I uh, dove in head first, as they say. Um, I had a few opportunities come up in the photography world and figured, oh, I'm actually making a bit of money doing this. Maybe I should, maybe I can quit my job and survive. And hasn't exactly been lavish, but here we are. So what was, what was the main factor that was kind of holding you back? I think, um, like everyone, the paycheck, right? It's, yeah. uh, financial security is very important and not guaranteed. If, if you want to be a photographer, if you want to be a filmmaker, it's, uh, you can do it. Everyone can do it. I, I truly, I really believe people can do it, whatever they, whatever they want to do. Like 
Ryan, if you told me at 17, Hey man, I want to be a filmmaker. I would have said, heck yeah. Heck yeah. You can do it, man. I believe in you and you did it. So I think that there's, there's that part of it. Um, some people, you know, it doesn't matter what, what your job was. If you're a, for example, you're a bartender and you want to be a music producer. How do you do that? You got to take the plunge, man. So it was, I guess, just finding the strength within to... The wherewithal. Yeah, the wherewithal to <laughs> to be okay with mm-hmm. with that decision and and finding the, the strength to take that risk. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting because we're coming from slightly different perspectives here. Okay. Because you... From the get-go, kind of were like, I'm a musician now. And you you went for it. Whereas it took it took me quite a few more years to no, we're we're very similar in a lot of ways, you and I. Like mm-hmm. we kind of it's kind of weird. Like we kind of look similar too, which is <laughs> 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 you know, similar height. Um similar like your beard's decent, but like it's not like fantastic. Like, right, same, same okay, mine, okay. You know? like you look good, don't get me wrong. Like a bearded guy, <laughs> uh, but it, it you know it, it took me a few years. So how how did you how did you decide I want to be a musician? Do you remember? Definitely something. I know it sounds really almost cliche and cheesy, but it was something you can call it a calling from within. It, it you can it's like that new Lady Gaga movie. Was it born a star or something? Mm-hmm. Not say I was I'm a star or anything, but it's it's like it's kind of like I'm just born like I'm just made like this, um, and you know I'm I'm lucky enough and blessed enough to have parents and and family and friends that believed in me, um, and and willing to support me through the hard times. To you know that I've got myself and and our business losses grave. We are a family business started with my older brother and my father um, and we've come this far. So we're, we're very blessed and, and I'm very grateful for, for that. Um, so did you always feel this calling? Like, was it like undeniable or, or did you have to sort of search it out a little bit? Yeah. Did from, you try a lot of things? <clears throat> well, from, from the time, from as far back as I can really remember, I wanted to, I just was a musician, you know, I had a song with me. I hated playing other people's music. That's very cool. I, yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I can, mine, I'm actually shocked to hear that. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I don't like playing other people's music necessarily. I mean, you start off that way, right? Mm-hmm. That's how you learn yeah, an instrument. You're practicing songs and chord charts and all these things, um, scales. But yeah, I, like, like I said, it was like something from within I needed to create, I needed to have that creative outlet my whole life. Um, and it took, it's taken many forms from music to filmmaking to some graphic design and web design, um, and some branding stuff. Um, and, and, you know, and just kind of rolling with it. And I've been lucky enough to have people that support me to let me do what I do. And it's turned into a business, but I, I don't take that fortune or fortune um, lightly and being in this position to be supported, you know, early on by my parents and friends and family. Um, I always, ha- always felt like a, an immense amount of pressure, not necessarily, not bad pressure, 
but a, a good pressure to succeed and to get better and to make something great. Um, so that's, that's something that I've, that's self-imposed and something that I've, I still keep with myself. And now it, it's really just something that comes from within me now where I'm like, I want to make something great that lasts the, the test of time. Right. I think that is at least for myself, I don't want to speak for every artist, but I think that's what we're all out here trying to, to do. Right. I think we're similar in a sense that even if you weren't getting paid, you'd be making music. Yeah, I'd be taking, if I wasn't yeah. getting paid, I'd be taking pictures every day anyway. I like to do it. I enjoy yeah. it. Don't, don't become a filmmaker if you don't like it. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> so, um, so how did you get into photography? Yeah, or, so did I, you have that, so that like support group? Yeah. So, um, it, it happened over time. Um, you know, I've always been a very visual person. I've always been a very, um, observant, observant person. Um, I remember my mom telling me, or my dad, I can't remember that, uh, I have an older brother and, uh, for somewhat like for the very young years of my childhood, they thought that I had like a, a speech problem because my brother would speak so much and he would kind of did the speaking for me. And then, uh, so I kind of like, man, is my kid a mute? Like I, I, I've heard him, I've heard him say things, but like, I'm, I'm worried, honey. You know, my parents, this is, I'm acting as my parents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then I guess, I don't know. I don't remember, but I guess then I just started speaking in full sentences. I didn't do like the, I didn't do the typical words you know, bit by bits. Kind of thing. I just kind of just dove right into it as they say. Um, and so, you know, I've always been, I think, I think the observe, uh, ob- observational is something that describes me. You know, I'm always looking like right now I'm looking out a window and there's a, so I'm looking out a window, there's a small window, it's in a crisscross and I framed a tree in the crisscross. Like right. I've just, I just moved my head slightly and I framed a tree yeah. and I just, I just do that automatically. So I, I think that's, that's trained. Like I think I forced myself to do that, but that's just how I work. You know, I'm not taking a picture, but I'm making one. Yeah. And so I think that's built into me. Um, you and know. you've always kind of been like that. I've right? always kind of been like that. Okay. Um, as a kid, I would screw around with cameras. Uh, we had a, like we had SLR cameras and then a DSLR, like a very early Canon DSLR. And I remember doing long exposures. My first ever Facebook profile picture, I think it was in high school when Facebook happened. First ever Facebook profile picture was actually a long exposure. And it was, it's actually like a pretty, I was a, a child, but it was like, Oh, I could, I, if I took that shot and I'd be like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Right? Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. But lo-fi. That's it. Lo-fi. <laughs> I love lo-fi. I love, I love the idea of using sort of antiquated technology to create things. I think that that's something that's going to be, it is cool now, but I think it's going to stay cool for a little bit. The idea of like my friend, Pat, shout out, Pat sent me a picture recently and it was from a Blackberry and it's like, it's, it's filled with the, chromatic aberrations and pixels and it's terrible, but it makes it beautiful. Mm. You know, it's, you kind of have to, it's almost like you, it's almost abstract in a sense. You have to fill it in a little bit. Like if I took a picture of you now with an iPhone 10, which I don't have, you would know exactly what, like it's crisp. It's It's like almost crisper than our eyes. But back, back then it wasn't so crisp and you leave a little to the imagination. I like that. Yeah. I thought it'd be pretty, uh, pretty neat to shoot like a whole music video on like 
first gen blackberry or something i would love that that would be so cool because uh, people do that effect a lot right like digitize it exactly afterwards 100 percent. like and you can do that you can do that in post but it's not the same no like i don't even know what the the crop factor would be or like the ratio yeah you know what i mean totally um but yeah like whatever cell phone or video phone that's a great idea that came out with the video feature Mm -hmm. first would you shoot a handheld or would you stabilize it and stuff oh yeah just handheld yeah so it has that that feeling that shakiness yeah, right yeah. yeah that'd be really cool so okay um we're, we're free already, ideas we're, we're just starting and we're already like way off topic here but <laughs> hey man it's a podcast it's a free form creative outlet um would you how would you feel if you were shooting a music video with a blackberry if someone in your music video had an iphone in their hand so i say this as i, I shoot film right i love shooting film yeah. i have a, ooh, a ton of unreleased film a ton are you putting it in like a, a barrel or something <laughs> and put it in like <laughs> in a little <laughs> storage garage hopefully someone will find it yeah and then someone will make a documentary about you yeah. finding jonathan i don't know jonathan. I, this, this guy indiana jones i don't know he just <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. keeps keeps contacting me <laughs> the cradle of the lost something the lost negs um yeah Bill lost negs. negatives yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no they're not lost i have them i just i, I haven't done anything with them yet there's some cool stuff on there. Anyway, um, so f- the reason I brought up, so we're talking about Blackberries and making a music video of a Blackberry, I think that's a fantastic idea, is if I take a, a film picture, I don't like seeing a Tesla. You know what I mean? Or like a- It takes you out of that kind yeah, of nostalgic yeah, yeah, right? like vibe you're trying to create. It's, nostalgia is a great word, but at the same time, it doesn't need to be nostalgic. Like it's a different medium, I think. I think digital photography is a different thing than photography. I think photography is developed negative images. I think there's a certain permanence of that. You can't, you can edit them in the dark room. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can like Ansel Adams, the, the dude who would go into the frontier, which is not a thing anymore. It's he would go into the wilderness and he kind of made a Yosemite famous like half dome, the thing that's like the Apple computer background, that that big, cool mountain face. Um, He would go out there with a, with a large format camera, which is still kind of the industry standard and take beautiful images. And, but he would spend a long time in the dark room, (laughs) poking it and dodging and burning. And he was, so most of the techniques that are in modern um, editing software, you could actually do in the dark room. Or a lot of them at least. Yeah, that's a whole craft within itself. It is, right? And so so that being said, like I think film pictures, editing them. Do you, well, how do you feel about someone edit like t- if you there I saw there's a so we're at Lost's Creative here in downtown Toronto. There's a there's they have a little glass case with a Hasselblad five hundred C, I think it's called, and like a, there's a Leica something something in there. If you were to take an image or it's probably Brad who would take the image. Yeah. Would he edit it? No. You know what I mean? Like I don't think, maybe slightly. Maybe slightly, maybe right? Just like scan it in and adjust the colors a little yeah, bit or something like yeah, that. Add a bit of contrast back. Yeah. Because I guess when you scan something, you lose a bit of detail. You lose a bit of, it's almost like uh, you, you shoot flat. I'm, shoot, I'm sure you shoot flat, right? Like yeah, shoot you, raw, yeah, yeah, you shoot raw. Yeah, you shoot raw. And um, so you have to add a bit of. Yeah, I mean, right? yeah, there's a whole uh, back end to, you know, the mm-hmm. filmmaking process and post-production. 
but let, let me take a step back here. So yeah. you, you think um, photography and digital photography are two separate things. I think that they're related, but I don't know if genre is the right word, but they're different crafts, right? Mm-hmm. They're different styles. They're different processes. Um, I know shooting film leveled me up in digital photography. Oh yeah. Like I think, I think the not being able to see the image after you take it is very important. Um, also, and not just firing away, you know, if you're like, oh man, it's going to be two bucks a picture. Makes it more precious, right? It makes it more precious. Yeah. It makes it, so for example, if, okay, if I had two cameras, which I actually frequently carry two cameras with me, um, a DSLR and then a, a film SLR camera. And what's nice is they, um, I have a, a pretty new uh, SLR. So the kind of camera you pop open and you load a thing of film in and you close it and it, it winds, like that's an SLR camera. I have a pretty new one so it can use my lenses. It can, it can use the same Canon lenses that I have. And so I can just carry the body and put the, the new modern lenses on it. Um, wait, what were we talking about? Uh, f- photography and digital photography being separate. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And so, but you have to approach them differently, I think. Or I don't know if you have to approach them differently, but they're, they're, they're a little bit different. In the sense that if you shoot film, if I was to shoot film in this room, you're actually beautifully lit right now. You're beside a window. Like this is, this is a nice picture. Like I probably, I, I would take this picture, <laughs> but then I'd maybe take one or two others and that's it. Yeah. If I had a digital camera, I could take a thousand. I could take as many as I want. Yeah. But if you only take digital pictures, I th- okay. So I think if you're a photographer, um, don't buy a film camera, but borrow one. I'm sure you can find someone who would, especially if you exchange cameras for a little bit, like trade with someone, go out and shoot a couple rolls of film because you, uh, you have to, you have to pick and choose a bit more. And I think that that really helps. Oh yeah. I mean, like you get, um, like if, if you're able to create some form of pressure, internal or external pressure where, you know that your uh, photography or like the, the amount of photos that you can take is not limitless, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're creating an environment of pressure and stress um, and it, it's almost forcing you to be more critical in that moment. You're waiting for that moment, right? You're waiting for it to come to you where I find... Um, maybe with digital photography, you're just kind of out there and you know, there's going to be limitless amounts of moments you're snapping. Not to say one's better than the other. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, I just, I, th- I think is that kind of like what you're getting at that you've, you've found shooting film creates this moment of pressure where it has to be good. You're more, yeah. Like we were saying, it's more precious, right? Absolutely. I think you nailed it there. Another, uh, relation you can make is if you're a filmmaker go out and take pictures for a day because that's going to help your composition if you're a photographer try to make a film because that's going to help you tell a story mm. it's it's really easy to take a nice picture it's hard to tell a picture that t- t- it's, it's easy to take a nice picture it's difficult to take a picture that tells a story right so one thing that 
I'm sure as you know, is the further you get in this game, the better you get at using a camera, the more you understand the process of filmmaking, of taking a picture, mm -hmm. the less you have to think about what buttons you're going to click. Like you probably spend very little time considering what's my shutter speed going to be? What's yeah. my aperture going to be? Yeah. What's my ISO going to be? You just do it inherently, right? It becomes mm -hmm. second nature. Mm -hmm. you, you, you don't think, should I shoot this mid? Should I shoot this tight? Should I, what angle is going to look best? You, you think about those things, but it becomes almost second nature. So for it to digress even further, yeah. um, if you follow soccer at all, there's this guy, Neymar, he's a Brazilian uh, forward. And uh, an interesting thing about him is they did uh, a brain scan. They brain, they did, uh, I'm not sure what it's called, but like they, they put things on a few different mm. football mm. players, soccer players' heads, and they made them play. And br the brain activity of Neymar was way lower than average, which means he's playing on instinct. Mm. And so he's able to sort of not think and just do. And that's what makes him great. That's part mm. of what makes him great. And I think the more you do something, the more proficient you get at something, the less you have to think about it and the more you can free up your brain to do other things. And so I, I think to, mm. to sort of circle back, yeah, yeah. It, it's similar in, in understanding the way business works. Like if you get a degree in something, I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a business model. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I just have a degree. In it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <yeah>. Like <laughs> the more you understand something, the less you have to think about it. Yeah. And so it's in, so for me, it's like, I, I know, I know that the principles of business, I understand how companies work. So I know what they're looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. like, like without having them to describe it that well. Yeah. I think that helps. So from university, can you just help, you know, like what, what was your journey after mm -hmm. university? Mm -hmm. You came back to Toronto. Yeah. So lived in Toronto for a while. Um, I guess I'll just kind of skip ahead a little bit to, yeah my last sort of like real, real job was, uh, I was an accountant actually at a privately held construction company. Mm -hmm. It was a cool job, especially looking back on it. Um, I learned so much. So basically construction companies, they build things for hundreds of millions of dollars. It's, it's such an astounding amount of money that it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Like, um, we built this hospital for a cost, the it cost, the cost to build a hospital was a billion dollars. <laughs> That's how much Beats by Dre is worth. Right. The last time I looked, maybe it's worth more now, but like <laughs> it's, it's one building is worth as much as a company that you, everybody knows as one hospital, yeah. the, like in the GTA, how many hospitals are there? Like 10, like the amount of money in buildings is so unbelievably astounding. And so I thought that was really cool. I remember I was doing a, I was doing a calculation on my, on my phone. Like I was like adding something up and the number was so big that I had to turn my phone sideways because the calculator ran out of space. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was like, what? This is, this is a real deal. So working with such large numbers and um, projects that have so many moving pieces to them and being accountable. Hey, for that, did that give you some perspective now that you're out on your own where you're like, as far as like pricing and, and charging um, people and your clients, Cause I, I find like when I first started out, you know, like charging someone over a thousand bucks was like a big deal to me. Absolutely. Cause I mean, that's half of my month's rent or whatever, yeah. you know, and I'm like, oh, I can do that in a week. Absolutely. Like, whoa, is that too much? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so did that give you some perspective where you're like, you know what? 
Yeah. Maybe I can charge a little more. And I, I, I don't know. I don't really know how to word it, but it's like being afraid of big numbers. Absolutely. Starting early on in your career. Yeah. Like, so the, like the way you're, what you just mentioned, I think is a very common thing. Everyone mm-hmm. I talk to, man, like we're getting priced out of the market. Yeah. Toronto, Toronto, especially like if you've, if yeah. you ever leave the city, you realize everyone in Toronto has a DSLR camera. Everyone right. can make a video. Yeah. Everyone takes good pictures. Like it's a very camera centric city. And I don't think the rest of the world is like that. Like when I go other places, not everybody has cameras like this. Mm. And so the reason I mentioned that is people are willing to make videos for 50 bucks. Yeah. And so how do you compete? How do you, how do you compete? Yeah. But for yourself, you're using tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. You're making your mm-hmm. own. If you guys don't know, Ryan, he, uh, he composes original music. Like for this, for this podcast, it's going to be an a, a original track. I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The theme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's, making, he's making a song. He's making a song every time he does something. No, not to mention making a video. Like that's, yeah. it's pretty astounding. Like I, I go on <laughs> like stock, stock, stock yeah. music, <laughs> try to find something that doesn't sound terrible. Music bed. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, pricing. Yeah, the pricing. Yeah. So, so how do you how do you uh, stay competitive mm-hmm. in in a world or a city where everyone has a camera and can make a video or take a photograph that looks half decent? Right. I think um, something that at least works for me that I have to do is I have to always be shooting, always be shooting. Mm. I haven't taken a picture today. I haven't I haven't taken a video today, and it's like that's like on my to-do list, mm. you know, even if it's going to be, if nothing, like I'm looking out the window right now and you have, mm-hmm. we're overlooking a, a little alleyway in Toronto, yeah. which is like something that we're kind of known for. And uh, it's a nice view and I might take a picture of it. <laughs> and I'm probably not going to do anything with it, but you know, it's like, like I kind of mentioned before, you, you have to, you have to keep the sword sharp. Mm-hmm. So you don't think about the settings. You don't, you don't want to think you, you don't want to have to think in the decisive moment, you know, Who's that? Ansel Adams? No. What was the decisive moment? Uh, uh, Jean Cartier-Bresson. Who's Bresson? No, I can't no remember his first name. No but clue. He was like one of like <laughs> the godfathers of photography. Right. His whole shtick was uh, like in that decisive moment, you have to act. Like there's- there's can't even one, think about it. For just, pictures especially, there's, yeah. there's, there's a certain millisecond that's the best and you want to be ready for it hmm. and you want to capture it. So there's one of his famous pictures is- um, there's a fellow and he's jumping off of it's so it's just rained. So there's like a giant puddle and this guy, he's walking across uh, it's like a plank of wood and he's trying to jump to the other side of the puddle, but you know, he's not going to make it. And Cartier Bresson took the picture right before the dude's foot enters the puddle. Mm. And so it's like, also looks it, like it's, he's floating above it's, the puddle. It's the millisecond where, you know, everything's going to change. There's going to be a big splash. There's going to be ripples. The, the, the puddle is perfectly flat. Mm. You know, the elements and principles of design it's, there's nice balance and it's uh, black and white. There's nice contrast and things. It's a, be- a beautiful picture. Um, but if he took, if he took that image, uh, not even half a second later, the dude would be in the puddle. It would probably still be a cool picture, but you know, you gotta, so, you gotta be ready for that, whoosh, yeah. that moment. Whoosh. So do you think about that? when you're walking around doing say street photography, mm-hmm. are you looking for 
those moments and trying to capture, it's almost like you're trying to capture a moment of climax or Mm. anticipation or tension. I love that. It's beautiful. Um, What, (laughs) what, what, what exactly are you thinking or what are you looking for? Um, or what has kind of worked for you? Yeah. I'm that guy with the backpack. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm always, I always have a bad, I'm, I'm the guy on the subway bumping people by accident. Like, sorry, everyone, because I have a, I have a backpack on because mm-hmm. I have a camera on me yeah. and I have a lens and I usually have a computer. <laughs> like, so for me, at least it's important to always have a camera with me. I always need to like stay strapped as they say, mm. you know, be ready <laughs> because you, you know, you, you never know when something's going to happen and mm-hmm. got to stay tuned in. So, so you're just observing, waiting for that moment. Mm-hmm. I think you're so. Ready to go. I think so. Like, you know, I, when you get, when you get to know an environment pretty well, you, you can anticipate it. I think, man, I, I got to get out of the city for a bit. I, I need to travel, you know, yeah. see, see, see the world a little bit differently and bring that perspective back. Right. Because I feel like I'm, I'm especially this neighborhood that we're in. This is, this is my neighborhood, right? Yeah. So you know, you're so used to seeing it and it's, that's actually, I find the most difficult, it, we're talking street photography here. The most difficult street photography you can do is within like two blocks of your house. Cause you're so used to it. Mm. You're, you're, you, um, I'm not sure the, the word for it, but they say when you're editing a picture or you're editing a video, you have to do it super quick. You have to decide what you want it to look like. For example, especially a picture or you get eye fatigue, you get used to the picture and you don't see mm. it as it is. You see it as your perspective on it changes. And so it's important to, for, for me at least, you know, you, you try to do, I try to, can't remember where I was going with that. No, that's good. Cause it's got me thinking like, <laughs> yeah. cause I, I have something kind of similar um, because the whole eye fatigue or like ear fatigue, ear fatigue, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if I'm making a song and I'm mixing it or if I'm, doing a, you know, a color grade on, uh, just finishing up a, a film. It's not done until the next day when I have fresh eyes or fresh ears to, to approach that piece of work, um, freshly with a new fresh perspective. Right. Um, I, th- I think that is so important and that is a rule that, you know, we stick by here mm-hmm. where, um, because you, you do get accustomed to hearing it one way or seeing it one way. Um, and it can always be better. Right. So do you find <laughs> you have thing. to take a full evening or? Oh or yeah. I you, usually, you yeah, yeah, I definitely got to sleep on it a hundred percent. Um, before we ship something out as like the, the final edit mm-hmm. and we bounce it or export it. How do, how do you like, how do you find spots? Like if say, say I'm a client and I'm like, yeah. hey, hey, lossless creative. I want, I want a video for my brand, for my beer brand. And it wants to, and I want it to be sort of in the streets. Like, do you, right. do you sort of have a Rolodex in your mind or a little scout? Bit. Yeah, we definitely scout. So we'll either send a crew out. Sometimes we hire like a scouting company to go and do that where they can't have that Rolodex. They have a bunch of uh, contacts say like we just did a shoot and we needed a private dirt road. Um, so being in the, in the city and from the city, we don't really have that access or know those people you know, right. people and contacts. So we hired a scouting agency to do that. Um, and they had that contact and they kind of facilitated the whole deal. And there you go. They sent us different options, but yeah, usually we'll kind of just 
browse around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, you have your spots, but the thing is, it's kind of similar to what you were saying earlier before, how everyone in the city has a camera, right? Where like there are hot spots in any city or any location that everyone kind of films at, shoots at. Um, and you don't, you want to find something new, find something fresh, or at least find a, a new way of approaching that specific location. If your client does want, you know, like a, an iconic Toronto location. Mm-hmm. Um, I always try to find a new spot or a new angle or, or shoot it during um, a time of day that other people haven't really, like how can you put your own uh, unique spin on it? Um, so that's kind of like what we do as far as locations go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I don't know. What, do, like, you, do you like say, I, I'm sure it, it always, it always varies, but how frequently do you use just natural light? Um, do you usually have like a, a big lighting setup that you bring with you? Not always. I mean, our style is kind of like a, I call it, or it's like a term, like a, a heightened reality, right? Oh, so it's cool, kind of like, yeah, cool. it's kind of like- That's a great way to put it. I it's love like that. It's like a stylish documentary. That's kind of, that's our mm. jam, right? That's what mm. we uh, specialize in. So- I try to use natural lighting, but you can use, you know, negative fills yep. and different diffusions and stuff like that to kind of add contrast to people's faces or, or do different things to kind of bounce light on and off of your subtract light off of your subject. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't really like filming indoors too often. Right. Kind of because of that reason. I mean, I know like a lot of people like to control their lighting, um, but I like to kind of jump into a situation or an environment and just kind of roll with it. Cause yeah. I find that's kind of where I shine and that's where I, Absolutely. That, that's like, that is my creative process where I'm, you know, I know like what the weather's going to be like. I, I know the location, I know what we have to do. Um, but I like kind of just like rolling with it mm. when I get there or I, when we all get there, you know, and I, just figuring it out. I think we can sum up the, uh, the last 20 minutes of what you were asking me in that last sentence. Rolling with it. Roll with it. <laughs> Trial by fire. Roll with it. Everything that I've learned was just getting in over my head mm. by 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 method of cannonball. Yeah, like so. The the reason why I wanted to start this podcast is because I hate speaking. Okay, <laughs> I, I love talking to people. I love being one on one, but I hate public speaking. Right. Um. Because I I like kind of like being by myself, sitting in a you know, dimly lit room kind of in my space, in my head, feeling comfortable and working on music and kind of getting lost in, in my flow. Um, so I wanted to do something that challenged me and something that I'm like scared of. Absolutely. And because, you know, we can get paid and, and we're very blessed to, you know, be making money and supporting our families and, and, um, you know, our employees and stuff. I work with all my brothers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're very blessed to be able to do what we do, but you know, you don't want to let yourself get stale. So I knew I needed to almost scare myself or try something that scares me quite a bit. So that's why I wanted to do this podcast. And I knew if I could, if you can create like little challenges in your day-to-day life that you can be victorious over. I think that trickles into kind of like my main bulk of work because I'm getting new experiences, new perspectives. 
um, you know, doing something that scares me, I think just makes me stronger. So I, I try not to get complacent. I think complacency is like a huge killer of creativity. Um, because it just, you get that eye fatigue or the ear fatigue, mm-hmm. you know, you're just, mm-hmm. it's kind of the same old, you know, sometimes I fi- find myself editing things the exact same way. I'm like, Hey, you know, I got to try to spice this up. Right. You know, can't get too stale. Um, so that's why I started the podcast. Yeah. There's, there's sort of an interesting, uh, duality between staying fresh, mm-hmm. but developing your own style. Mm-hmm. And so like, is there any methods that you use to, or I guess for, first let's talk about, yeah. is there anything specifically you do to keep your content in the same style, lossless creative? You know what I mean? Like, is music. there sort of, uh, yeah, music. Okay. Music. A hundred percent music. Um, funny enough, the lenses that we use, mm-hmm. I think trying to stay true whenever you can, whenever the client lets you hundred percent always on passion projects. Try to use, I like to use the same lenses cause you're, it's a look that is the brush stroke for your camera. Right. Um, so I think using the same lenses you get, you start to create a style. I mean, you can like grade and color your footage a specific way. So people kind of see that, but I feel like that's a little more difficult to, can't push through with your own style for uh, editing and color grading. Um, but I think music is a huge thing. You know, we can be like, we did a a short film on the Brampton Batman's this guy that, you know, puts on a Batman, um, outfit, cape and cowl and goes out every single night and patrols the city of Brampton and he has an actual Batmobile. So we did a documentary on him, but then we're also, you know, doing a, a short film on an Olympian, Alicia Newman, who's pole vault. Um, and, and, you know, and everything in between. And I find the music is what ties our work together. Um, it is the driver of emotion. It's telling the viewer how to feel. Um, and I think that having my, or our music in all of our work, our original scores is really what kind of gives it a consistent style and does set it apart from you know, the next guy who's just buying tracks on music better art list or whatever, which I have a whole nother beef with (laughs) subscription, (laughs) music subscription companies where I think they just completely rip off the artists. And I think it's awful. Right. I think um, so too. For these like $20 a month subscription, unlimited downloads. I I think it's really awful. Um, Just musicians and artists getting taken advantage of, but that's for another podcast. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so that's how I kind of, I think the music is what keeps our stuff fresh. I don't know. How about you? Yeah. Um, before we get into that, you, you mentioned lenses a little bit and I'd like yeah. to talk about that a bit. Yeah. So do you have like, do you use cinema lenses usually or do you, yeah. do you have like specific yeah, so, ones you love? So um, we try to shoot on anamorphic as much as we can. Real anamorphic? Yeah. Like real Ooh, anamorphics. Um, tasty. Yeah. Um, so we, we like to cook anamorphics which are really cool. Um, but whenever we can't afford to use anamorphics, yeah, I, I just use Zeiss lenses. I have this 35 millimeter Zeiss lens that is like my go-to Yeah, comfortable shooting it. Like, yeah. Pulling focus on that is amazing. Beautiful. Um, yeah. That kind of is my go-to. It's a manual focus. Yeah. 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 How about cool. you? What, what are you shooting on? Well, I, I just, I just use what use what I have. I, um, so I shot Canon 
for a long time there. And so I have uh, Canon lenses. Mm -hmm. I just switched to Sony actually, the a7 III. Love this camera, mm. it's beautiful. The People only love that camera. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. The, the a super, I didn't, a very unexpected benefit. Well, the reason I got it is because it shoots 4K and you can shoot slow motion at 1080p where my 5D Mark III couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but one, of, which is obviously a great, a great benefit. But one thing that I love about this camera that I didn't think I would like is you can switch between full frame and APS-C with a click of a button. And so I can have a 50 millimeter lens on it click one button and it's effectively an 85 millimeter lens. Mm. So instead of switching so you lenses, get that crop factor. so I can just walk yeah. around with a 50, crop it to 85 right. and boom, got an 85 on there. Mm. And it still looks great. It's full, it's a yeah. full frame sensor. It's especially, man, like I'm not blowing these up on a billboard. A billboard is a bad example. Actually, you can use a pretty low res image for a billboard. I've been on a billboard <laughs> once and it was like a, really? I, yeah, it was, it was a small billboard. But it was in Young and Dundas Square. So that's, 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 that's kind of cool. Right? <laughs> I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. But uh, it was, they used, I can't remember what, what how many pictures, it was a tiny image. Oh, like wow. I gave them like a full, a gigantic JPEG. And they're like, no, actually we want like a small version. Oh, wow. Because I guess you're seeing it from far away. You know, you're not seeing it from close up. And so you're actually, when you look at a billboard, it's actually really small. Yeah. Even though it's giant. And so yeah. it can be pixely and it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. But uh, yeah, so I use, um, I think my favorite lens is a 50. I yeah. love 35. I just don't have one. Yeah. And then uh 15, 24. I like those for, uh, for street stuff or just what? in general, just, just in general. Kind of yeah. Everything. Mm -hmm. I like, um, I like wide angle to establish an environment. And then I find a 50 is just very, um, it makes people look good. The people, people look beautiful at 50. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a flattering focal length. Um, I like to be able to crop it to 85 because or whatever, close to 85. I'm not mm -hmm. sure of the exact crop factor, but that's also an extremely flattering vocal length. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, it's pretty. And then just if it's too, if it's too zoomed in or whatever the term is, if it's, if it's too close up, just take it a few steps back. Yeah. So, so since we're kind <laughs> of like on this, this topic, like what does your process look like? Like, how do you find people to shoot? I, I guess more for like paid gigs mm -hmm. or, um, you want to do like a photo shoot. Mm -hmm. What does that kind of look like from like start to finish? Right. This is something I definitely need to improve on, okay. which is why I love doing stuff like this, where I'm exposing myself to you guys and, yeah, you know, hanging out with people that I really respect and like, I, I really enjoy your guys' work. And so in your process and everything. So this stuff like this really helps me. But um, most of my work I actually get in person. I get through people that I've met in real life through networking, by going to events, by, and most of it, I guess, actually is doing work that I'm proud of, good work for someone, and by means of that, getting someone else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you go out of your way and ask them, hey, you know, you just did a whole photo shoot, you delivered the, the photography, they're happy, you got a happy client. After that, do you go out of your way and ask them, hey, do you know anyone that, could use my service. Um, are you forward like that? Or do you just kind of, I am, I should be more. Yeah. If, I, if I'm being honest, that's yeah. I think one I thing I can, can absolutely, be a more forward. absolutely yeah. improve on. I feel like what I've been focusing on is honing my craft. And I'm not saying I'm honed. I don't yeah. even know if that's a, if that's a word or yeah, not, but no, yeah. I'm getting there, you know? <laughs> so I'm, I think it's important to really believe in yourself. And I do now, I do think I can, 
create beautiful imagery for a brand or for a person mm-hmm. every time now, right? Given I have the, I have equipment that's of a level that, you know, you're willing people are, should be paying for, you know? Yeah. I have a pretty defined style now. Yada, yada down the list. And now it's more about, okay, cool. Got these things. Let's go get some clients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you use for editing? So, um, for images, yeah. uh, for editing images, I use Lightroom most, mostly I, um, I use Photoshop a little bit. Like for example, if it's a, uh, some sort of beauty shoot, I'll, uh, I'll use something called frequency separation where it's, um, you separate texture from color and you, um, you can remove blotches really easily. Um, things like that for in Photoshop, but for the most part it's in, it's in Lightroom. And like, like you mentioned, um, I try, I try to get things right in camera. I try, mm-hmm. I try to hit my settings. I try to do my colors. Like I don't, I don't do a lot of color correcting. Like I do a little bit of color correcting, but like color correcting, not a lot of like creative color magic. Manipulation. Ma- manipulation. That's a good word. Yeah. yeah I have nothing wrong with it. It's just, you know, I do a little bit here and there, but, um, so for, for the most part, Lightroom, uh, I find it has everything I need and then a little bit of Photoshop too. And then you said you shoot a lot of portraits in mm-hmm. um, portrait uh, ratio for Instagram. What, what kind of, um, I guess ratios or have you like, what, what images really stand out on your feed or that you've noticed people um, or sorry, what images on your Instagram feed have really resonated with people? Um, so for me, I don't, I don't have a very big Instagram following or anything, but that's okay. We're, we're talking, uh, just, just me. Right. So yeah. the pictures on my Instagram that do the best are of me, I think. And, um, I find it kind of interesting that people can hire anyone. There's so many options. The, I, I'm not, I like, I like my work. I think, I think I'm competent and capable and I can provide brand equity to someone. But at the same time, so can a lot of other people. People want to hire someone that they know, that they like, that they That's can it. relate to. Yeah. Like you mentioned, you try to, the, the thing that helps you the most is being positive and happy and nice to work with. Just being a good person. So Good person to hang out with. So I find when I, you know, I have a lot of friends that are fantastic photographers. So I sometimes take cool pictures of me. Or sometimes I take a, I don't do selfies with a cell phone, but what I've been meaning to do more actually, I think is really cool is, um, uh, sort of street photography, but now my new camera has a trigger built in with it, with the app. Oh, nice. And so sort of setting it up and taking pictures of myself instead of <laughs> always needing a subject. There you go. Because <laughs> like, hey, no, nobody wants to walk around with me. Get get the real moment, that That's candid it, right? moment of That's yourself. It. Yeah. Oh, hi there, camera. Yeah. You know what I mean though, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of like sort of shooting wide subject a little bit far back. So they're kind of small. I like those kind of pictures. What? Is the J photography style street conceptual? Street conceptual. Can you break that down a little more? So pretty much, um, it, it varies. You know, I, I like I sort of shoot whatever, what whatever happens, right? Go with the flow. Yeah. Um, but I like taking fine art principles. You know, I've spent so much time learning about this. Stuff. I'm sure everyone has, but composition and lighting and Kelvin values and contrast and when to, when to do certain techniques and things. So it's taking 
taking fine art style into especially a cityscape. That's for the most part kind of my shtick. Do you ever shoot um so you shoot red? Mm-hmm. Do you um do you frequently not downgrades the wrong word, but like I have I have another buddy who has a red and he's actually most of his work is on a one DX Mark II because it he finds the file sizes are so big. They're like in most circumstances, I mean like most like real big gig circumstances, people want super high quality. Yeah. But for everything else, he just shoots one DX Mark II, which is still a fantastic camera. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but do you do that? Um I have uh Panasonic GH5 that my wife and I purchased for, you know, just kind of like some everyday family vlogging and photography. Um, So if anything, I'll use that. But to be honest, the, the red Kodak is so good and so strong that the GH5 uh, files actually crash my computer more than the red. No way. Does yeah. That's pretty cool. So I actually, yeah, it's like you can call it or say that's easier to use the GH five, um, smaller, you know, smaller form factor, mm-hmm. whatever, less maintenance. But in post, I actually save way more time <laughs> editing wow. red footage, and like the files don't really bother me. <clears throat> you have way more options in post you can change ISO and color temperature and do all these crazy things I still don't with understand it, right? how that works. Um, so, so like, it really is just amazing what they've been able to do there. Right. So yeah, like the, the, the size doesn't really bother me. We have, you know, a bunch of hard drives. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. Um, so yeah, for me, not really. I, and that's part of the brand, right? Lossless. Yeah. Like and if, kind of the if, whole, if, that's if I'm going to shoot stick, something, right? and, I mean, I'm a big believer if you're going to, put your time into something, you might as well make it good to the best of your abilities. Yeah, right. I feel you. Um, because I got my phone. Like, yeah, true. Okay. You use your phone if you're just kind of, yeah, doing if I'm just running around a park or yeah. something, then I'll just pull out my phone. And, good point. Yeah. I mean, shoot everything <laughs> in vertical. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. not, it's not like I'm going to be using it professionally or For anything. Sure. I shoot almost everything vertical. Well, pictures. Pictures. Images, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, mo- most of the time. So let's talk. I need a, a grip. Let's talk. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a bit about that. Like yeah. what, what photos have you found to perform well online and how is that influencing now your creative process? Cause you just said you shoot mostly vertical right. Right. portraits. Well, right? Yeah. It's especially if I'm shooting for, um, social media, you know, most people, I, th- I feel like most people consume on their phones more. I'm curious. I wonder if more people listening to this are listening on their phones or on their computers, probably their phones, phones right? 100%, yeah, yeah. Right. And so because of that, you know, I've kind of tailored my imaging to that. I mean, we're, we're shooting super high quality cameras here. We can yeah. crop anything, yeah, yeah. especially to like a phone. But I think it's, it's at least what I try to do is I always try to get it in camera. Like I get the, the composition Absolutely. as close as it can be. Um, in the moment, what I'm seeing on my screen as I'm capturing it, I try to make it, you know, I'm getting that composition in the moment as close as it will be going out and what the world will see. 
Do you, so, do you crop things very often? I try not to. I try not to. Yeah. Just, I, just I, I feel like that's time. like a, <laughs> I feel like that's, um, no one would ever know. Like if you crop, if you slightly cropped red Epic footage, yeah, no one would know unless you're watching it on like some crazy well, monitor in, I, I, mean, I don't yeah. even know. Yeah. You, I mean, shooting, you know, shooting like, uh, our, so we use the red Scarlet W shoots in 5k. I mean, 5K. Guys are shooting in 8k, 8K. right with the red monstro and like monstro. They're <laughs> <laughs> not going here. Um, <laughs> And I mean, that's a huge thing that people say. It's like, yeah, you can, you know, the cropping and post capabilities right. is one of the selling features of shooting in a higher resolution than you actually need. Right. Right. But for me, as someone that values photography and composition um, and cinematography, I value it so highly where it's like, no, I want to get... Mm-hmm. <laughs> As close as possible. Absolutely. The very first time. I don't want to crop stuff unless I absolutely have to. Right. What, um, about, what about something like white balance? You got to you got to nail it, right? Yeah, but I mean, we can change that in post. True. With our red footage. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the scream off. Yeah, like. I, I, I tried um, to hold it back. I couldn't. So what do you, like, what's something that you're thinking about recently? Like, as far as you said like you're kind of honed in on your craft or you feel like you're getting there. You're come, you're coming into form. You're you're, right. you're working your way into fitness, photography, right. fitness. <laughs> That's it. Um, <laughs> what, what are some things now that you feel confident in your art and your craft? What's something that you're thinking now to take it to the next level? It's a very good question. These are the things I should be thinking about. I do think about you're probably them. you're thinking about them, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I don't have a good answer. To like, that. do you see someone's f- photograph online? You're like, oh damn, I gotta up my game. Oh, I gotta oh, get close oh, okay, to that. Okay, okay. Or are you thinking like, you know, I need to work on, you know, being able to draw out more emotion mm. on someone that I just meet, you know, like I'm kind of thinking, I mean, you, you tell me, but it's like working on skills that go beyond photography and the settings and absolutely. I Click, think um, clicking the trigger, you know, do you work on that? It's interesting. You, you, you keep bringing up like, uh, or not keep bringing up, but like you brought up, um, are there pictures that you look at that are really inspiring to you? I yeah. find I get more inspired by films, by music, mm. by architecture, by weather, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'm more of, I feel like my pictures are more affected. Like if I go, if I go to a concert, that would be better for me than, looking at images online. Yeah. I think, I think it's important. Okay. So my friend, just John for real, shout out cool Toronto rapper. I remember him talking about this. Um, it's important to, if you're in the creative world, if you do something like you're a, you're a musician, I think it's important. Like I remember you, uh, I don't know if you ever got into it, but you said you wanted to get into uh, sculpting, sculpting with rocks. Yep. Too loud. Hurts my ears. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, actually. <laughs> Too time consumed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we well, had something called a child. Oh, right. <laughs> we cannot sculpt no longer. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe Play-Doh, but I, th- I think it's, I think it's very important. I think it's very important to um, do things that spark that part of your brain that aren't necessarily in your field. hundred percent. Like I, uh, I went to, I keep talking about museums. I don't go to museums that often, but I went to, but it uh, sticks with you. I guess this is it why it's in my head. You, I went yeah. to the museum of contemporary Canadian art, the, the MOCA and the automotive building in Toronto. I'd, 
I'd recommend people go. I mean, the installations are kind of cool, but the building itself is really cool. It's a really interesting part of the city. It's in the West End on like the uh, the Dundas train corridor, which is one of my favorite areas because it's still a little bit decrepit and it's a, it's a neat- The dinge. It's a, yeah, it's a little bit dingy and I, I like that, but it's also, that's where the circus schools are. Circus that's where schools. That's where like the- studios are that's where you can get like a loft that's exposed you know it's, it's, it's dingy but it's cool okay uh i went i went to this and there was a i can't remember who the artist was but uh they had made a pinball machine but they had installed uh a drum machine on the side so you know how um to, to make a pinball machine work you hit the button with your fingers and it goes mm-hmm. and like that you hit the ball just above those there was like a, it wasn't an 808 kit but it was like a, a drum kit. It might've been an 808 where it's like, dum, cha, dum, dum, so you could play pinball yeah. and make a beat at the same time. That's sick. And it, why? I don't know, but I thought that was so cool and so much fun. Well, I, I do that with everything, man. Like mm-hmm. there's rhythm. Cause I, I'm, I've been trained a drummer. So there is, for me, there's rhythm in everything. Brushing my teeth. Right. I'm making a beat <laughs> while I'm brushing my teeth. <laughs> Honestly, cutting a carrot. <laughs> like, right. at, like anything, you right. know, making, making dinner, driving, like anything mm-hmm. that has a rhythm. Um, but coming, coming back to this, the idea of working on yourself and exposing yourself to experiences and perspectives outside of your field. Um, how important is that to work on things beyond the camera? And how does that translate into making you a better photographer? Would you say the most important thing we do is tell stories? I think when it comes down to it, yes. Right? Like the whole point is to kind of make a story, right? Yes. To make a good story, you have to live an interesting life. Mm-hmm. Right, you mm-hmm. need life experience to tell a story. Yeah, and so I think I think that's I think that's the most important thing. Like you, okay, so we're doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I think that is more important to me mm. than watching a video on YouTube about what picture profile I need to be in. Right. I mean, that's important. Don't get me wrong. Picture, picture profile <laughs> is very important, but doing something like this where I'm yeah, a little bit nervous, yeah, kind of comfortable now is kind of uncomfortable before. You're stretching yourselves, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're pushing your human experience, right? And mm-hmm. you're, you're seeing what capacity you have to, I mean, that's something that I, I hate. I mean, that's the thing you hate it, but afterwards you love it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I had to go up our, one of our films, um, premiered at hot docs and it was in a TIFF theater. Right. And I had to go up and say a little thing about the film. And that was like one of the first times I ever did public speaking. And I was absolutely terrified. But then once you're actually up there, you're doing it, you know, you're stretching yourself as a person. Then afterwards you, you like feel, um, you almost feel high, right? You're on a high. You're like, Hey, mm-hmm. I did something that was absolutely you feel those bright lights. Terrified, yeah. You feel the heat of the lights. You do. Oh. <laughs> Could you see the crowd? Or is it too bright? A little bit. No, you can't. A little bit, It's yeah. a theater. So, um, but y- you know, like, and then after that, now I, I always kind of use that 
uh, moment as a point of reference for me where it's like, hey, that was something that terrified me. I did it. It wasn't so scary. You know, I lived to see another day Mm -hmm. and now I'm more confident and now I can do it again. And actually it was, there's a few screenings and then I did the following day or two days later and I felt great. You know what I mean? Um, Is it going to kill you? No. No. Yeah. So just do it. I mean, dude, like you've been, or you are one of the more most adventurous people that I know. Thank you. And optimistic. Oh, okay. And that's something that, like when I think about you, that is like. I appreciate that. You know, one of many things I think, think about you. Um, That's something I've always highly admired about you, how you have this great outlook on life and you don't, I don't really see you as someone that like doubts yourself. I see you as someone that's like willing to jump in head first. You know, you're not necessarily feeling the water. Mm-hmm. You're jumping in, dude. I get that from action sports. I, uh, that's what I mean. For sure. So, so like what, what kind of sports were, were you doing? Yeah. So I grew up on a, largely on a BMX bike. That was like the big one in skiing, mm-hmm. freestyle skiing. Mm-hmm. And to do those sports, you, you need to be able to, say screw it and just do the thing that you meant to do you know and you might hurt yourself but if you do it it's gonna be really fun it's like if you have the hesitation actually hesitation kills you so okay this is the perfect example if you're doing a gigantic jump on skis or on a snowboard if you do something called a speed check which is where you just you're like i'm going too fast slow down a little bit it's usually Mm. so much worse to go too slow than to go too fast if you go too slow you're gonna hit flat and you're gonna really it's gonna suck and so you need to be able to that, that's one thing you learn is just do it, just hawk mm. it. And I think that uh, that's carried over to a little bit where it's like, yeah, that'd be more fun if I go fast. So with this, just do it Nike. mentality, Nike. <laughs> with this, with the just do it mentality, leaving your job at the construction company. Mm-hmm. Um, it took, I remember it took you a while to kind of come mm-hmm. to terms with it. Right. Like, you'd always say to me like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Or you, you actually started to pick up the camera a lot more because mm-hmm. you, I remember you, you sharing with me, like you're feeling quite um, drained of a creative outlet. Like you just didn't have it. Mm-hmm. You, you just, it just wasn't there. Um, so what were some of those like hesitations kind of holding you back? Um, yeah. yeah, it was, you know, especially looking back, it was, it was a good job. I actually enjoyed it a lot. I had a lot of freedom. I worked with people I liked. I felt like I was doing something productive. I was helping the greater good in a sense. Mm. And uh, that comes with perspective, you know, that comes with time. But it was very difficult for me to go between mindsets, to, to, be, to be pushing myself creatively at night and in the day looking at a screen that was a black screen with green writing, kind of like the matrix. <laughs> with numbers and yeah. um, it was, it was a little, a little bit difficult to do both. And I think that really actually helped me in a way was sort of what we've been getting at is sort of forcing yourself, mm. forcing yourself to do things and to get creative. And so I got to a point where I had a few opportunities and I said, let's do it. I can always go back. Yeah. Not to that job. I mean, like they, I don't think they would rehire me, but after quitting, but yeah, you um, can find something else. Yeah. I can find something else. Right. Yeah. And so 
maybe a bit tougher now. It's been a few years, but, or however long it's been, but, um, it, it was tough. It's tough to leave a regular paycheck benefits. Yeah. Job security. One thing, the one thing that's really nice about the corporate world is, um, you can see the exact leveling up mechanism. You the know, ladder. Like I was like, yeah, the, the, the ladder. Exactly. I knew if I do this for 10 years, I'm going to be that guy. Yeah. If I do this for 15 years, I'm going to be that guy. He drives this car. I'm going to have that car. I'm going to do this. We're going to do so, that. So was happiness a factor for you where? I think so. You, so you were unhappy there? I'm not sure if unhappy, but yeah. I think I was chasing something. I still am. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I said, I had a few opportunities come around where it's like, okay, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting paid for this. I can do this. Right. And um, I took a risk. And it I hocked it. You hocked it, dude. I hocked it. <laughs> and uh, some regrets. Yeah. No, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Um, it was, I'm, I'm very glad I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, I would have way more money if I didn't do this. Way more money. But yeah. uh, takes hey, time, though, that's right? It, like you that's have it. to be patient. Rome wasn't built in a day. That's funny. Pretty much everyone that I've spoken to kind of on this topic, they use that expression, Rome wasn't built in a day. Okay. <laughs> right. And it's so true, right? Like, that's, I think it's, it's really good, like, words of encouragement for people to hear where you might be frustrated. You might feel like you're in a place and you'll never really budge. Right. What do you call it? Like a, inertia. Yeah. And you're, yeah. And you have to be patient, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to, once again, another reason why I want to do this podcast, because, you know, I'm in the pursuit of excellence and you have to constantly be trying to make yourself better and dive deeper into your craft and think of it, try to get to a deeper level, um, beyond, hitting a keyboard beyond mm-hmm. hitting the trigger, mm-hmm. you know, of your camera. You, you ha- there are so many levels. There's like spiritual levels, you know, there's emotional levels, there's physical levels, right? Like how far are you willing to push your body to go into those, the dark parts of the city to shine a light on, you know, those perspectives and it'll make you uncomfortable, but you're in a new place and you're challenging yourself. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I think back to you playing an acoustic guitar, you know, <laughs> yeah. sitting on a rock by a fire. That's it. And you wanted to be a musician, but it was never. It was I want to be a musician, but you know, you, I think you worked at a carpet store. Yeah, and um, rug store. That doesn't seem like that long ago. Like no. how much has come since then? Yeah, I mean, you're now you you worked at a carpet store, and now you're in a room that is soundproofed. You have two carpets on the ground for soundproofing because we're in a studio that has a bunch of audio equipment. Mm-hmm. You're producing original tracks for movies and um, it hasn't been that long. And so, you know, you can worry about this is where I'm at, but what you should be worrying about is this is where I'm going. Mm. Right. And it's okay where you're at. It's okay. I, th- I think that's a huge thing. Okay. Like, I know I said earlier, like being complacent, or complacency is the killer of creativity, but I think that's true. But I think it's also good to know that it's okay that you're just starting out Mm -hmm. or it's okay that, you know, you're not, 
<laughs> producing films for Netflix. Like yeah. it takes time to get there. Right. But like you said, you, you have to know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Right. And it is the, this industry is very incremental. It is very, you build on your, your small victories and you yeah. build up, but at the same time, things can happen overnight. Right. You never know. It takes one. Yeah. It takes one client and then that changes everything. You do what you do one project and you like, you can go super sand. You can level up. <laughs> does, <laughs> does, uh, does anyone come to mind that maybe you personally know, or you've kind of seen that happen to where, let me see. Like, who, who, who's killing it? Who's killing it? That's a good know? question. Let me think on it. I go through the Rolodex. Go through the Rolodex. <laughs> to me, it's like, go through the Instagram. <laughs> who, who are you following? Right. Um, I think a lot of people are killing it. Yeah. And I find, so Instagram's kind of weird for me because okay. some of the things I find most inspiring are people who aren't photographers, who aren't filmmakers, just complete normal people mm. who take a cool picture on their cell phone. <laughs> Those are the ones I appreciate the most probably where it's like someone who I know personally who knows very little about, a little about the elements and principles of design. Yeah. They know very little about lighting but they see something cool and they make something cool. That's, I, I like that. I like seeing that. That's, oh, what yeah. I, that's what, that's what I like on social media. Oh yeah, man. Like, like my mother, yeah. like, like, <laughs> she's not, not on social media, but she texts me pictures every now and again. And, uh, cause it's her you know, perspective, right? Yeah, that's she, the she's beauty art- of photography, right? That's coming from her. Absolutely. She's an artistic person, you know, always has been, but she'll hit me with like a fo- fog rolling in on a boat Boom. in the morning. Boom with mountains in the background and I'm like, I want, I wish I took that picture. <laughs> <laughs> Level up mom. <laughs> yeah. Right. Shout yeah. out mom. No, th- I think that's, that's really you met good. My mom. Oh yeah. Uh, shout out. Um, so it's funny you, you say that because <laughs> some of my favorite photographs are actually from my three-year-old Jonah. Perfect example. With our Polaroid camera. Cause yes. that's his little world. That's his little perspective. He, he wants to, he wants to be like dad, right? Running around with a camera. And he, it's just like, just the moments or even just like the odd expressions that he gets on my face or my wife's face, you know, when he's just like, Hey, and then mm-hmm. we look and we're like, uh, and then he snaps. Like, and how does he, like, de- how does he decide that moment? What do you think goes through his head? I don't know. Like, is he, he is he just, he does I feel like he's he, in the flow state, you know, you, you talk about like a, a real goal in life, I think is to be in the flow state. Like mm-hmm. we talked about with Neymar mm-hmm. where he's not thinking that's just, where the best work yeah. is done. You know, they say this is kind of digression, dig- no, digressing yeah. a little bit, but they say um, 80% of the work takes 20% of the time and 20% of the work takes 80% of the time. I thought at least for me, if I'm making something, I usually get the bulk of it done pretty quickly relatively speaking, yeah. it's those little things that you might not be as good at that you, they might, there might be a small hiccup and something small takes so long, but you need that little thing. Yeah. So 20% takes 80% of the time. Well, I find it's, it's those little things that you end up conquering and perfecting that actually makes your image or your work. Absolutely. Go beyond. Absolutely. Not to necessarily compare, 
or be comparing yourself to other people, but being willing to work on that 20% for that 80% amount of the time, maybe some people give up. Mm -hmm. I think it's important if you start something, finish it. I think that's important. Mm. Okay. To get back to your, uh, your lovely son. Um, so yeah. I wonder, I wonder how he makes those decisions. Like, does he just, is he thinking like, this is going to look cool or is he just Maybe. clicking? You know, I would love to, this might sound far-fetched, but mm. I would go to a gallery event of a three-year-old of, with a Polaroid camera. Well, dude, I was actually thinking about, oops, sorry. I was actually thinking about making a whole like YouTube video and the title was going to be my three-year-old takes better photographs than you. Yeah, he does. And dive into that mm-hmm. where I, I I feel like he's not really thinking. He's just running around mm-hmm. taking photographs and he captures these weird moments and it's from his weird angle. You know, it's his, yeah. it's his own little perspective. It's a perspective. worm's eye view almost. He's yeah. so low. It's his, it's his own perspective on, on life um, where I, f- I find a lot of people, maybe they overthink it or they're trying too hard to capture something or... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe they just don't let it kind of happen and come, come to them in the moment when they're, I'm just talking like photography. Um, because that's something that I actually, that's the a big lesson. One of the many lessons I've, I've learned from Jonah, my three-year-old is sometimes you just have to be running around with a camera in your hand and let life happen to you as like a cinematographer or a photographer, mm-hmm. Absolutely. rather than going out and kind of chasing something or trying to make a moment happen. Cause then it, I hate using this word, but it then it's not authentic necessarily. Mm. I, I'd be interested. Like, I'm, I'm sure most of his subjects would be in the center of the frame. He's man, he's actually pretty good. <laughs> so, like, like I mean, so you could probably tell what he's looking at. You know, Him? like like if I oh, take a, he, if I take a picture, like if I took a picture of you right right now. So yeah. I'm looking at Ryan. He's sitting in a chair with a microphone that goes to the desk beside him. I would frame you on, on to the right of the frame mm-hmm. to balance right. the desk and everything. But would he put you right in the center because he's looking at your face? I bet he would. Yeah. You know? And so you kind of get a, just, just yeah. by seeing what he takes a picture of you. It, like, I feel like he would, what he's looking at, you know, for me, if you looked, the center of the picture is, is almost kind of your elbow. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not what I'm looking at. You know, I'm looking yeah. at your face. Yeah. I don't know, man. He, yeah. He's actually a pretty good photographer. Yeah, totally. Of course. It's like, um, do you find you ever get hung up on that kind of thing? Like I just mentioned, you know, this, this has a bit of a, uh, a golden ratio going on. Like there's a bit of a circle going the, the spiral, like well, the, see, the mic stand, the mic stand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah. Almost like a snail shell or like a rose. The they way can it, get it hung up on the, uh, principles like of the composition, principles, composition, overthinking that sort of thing. Or do you, yeah. We kind of talked about this earlier. Of course. But. Like I watched uh, Hans Zimmer's masterclass and one of the amazing things that he said is how you push art and creativity forward is you see what everyone's doing and you do the exact opposite. Mm. And that's how, or that's where new ideas are born. Um, Cause yeah, there, there are rules, there's guidelines to help, help you construct and think about composition and lines. Um, But once again, like I'm kind of hung up on this idea of like 
how do you go beyond that or thinking past it? And sometimes it's not even thinking about it at all and just doing it and see what happens, just what feels good, you know, what, Mm -hmm. what works for you. Um, so yeah, sometimes I'm I'm like, you know, I'm just going to put them just slightly off centered just because, and it just has a little personality or magic to it. Or sometimes you don't want things to be too symmetrical, you know, cause then it actually gets kind of boring. Or if you're editing and it's too rhythmic and it, and it's too predictable, then you're going to put people to sleep. You know what I mean? So you stop cutting to the beat, cut on something that is not the beat, you know, every five seconds or, you know, then every seven seconds, then every three seconds, you know, like switch it up. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's important. That's yeah. That's something I, I always think about um, because, you know, if I'm not into what I'm making, if I'm not really interested or it doesn't kind of capture me, then why would it capture you? Right. So if it's putting me to sleep and it's too rhythmic and repetitive or I can predict where it's going to be cut, then that, yeah, that doesn't work for me. Especially if you're trying to build tension. Yeah, like, um, of course. There's a TV show. I actually haven't seen the TV show, but I watched a thing about it. It's called Mr. Robot. And, uh, oh, it's a great show. Yeah, you like it, huh? Yeah. yeah. So one, one, of the, one of the things, the, whoever the director, cinematographer, sure, so. yeah, yeah, whoever it is, they often place the subject. If you think about the rule of thirds, which is, you know, the little grid that splits up an image, they often, you, you're supposed to put something on the, the point, the, the intersection of the lines, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the third. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever made that show doesn't do that very often. They put, like if I was to take an image of you, instead of putting you on the rule of third, I'll put you closer to the edge of the frame. Yeah. And that creates tension. I'm breaking the rules. Right. And it's like, you're almost leaving frame. Or another thing is like often, mm. Your gaze, I want your gaze to be entering frame. Mm-hmm. But if your gaze is exiting frame, it's it's sharper. It's it's more like he's about to leave frame. There's something there's tension. Like you mentioned, if you're cutting on beat, it's rhythmic, which is important. Important, I would say. Yeah. Mo- I would say most of the time, right? Yeah, of, it's, of imp- it's important. But if you go offbeat a little bit, that's how you get drama. Yeah, and and even you know your average viewer is not a film editor, so often they're not even really thinking that, oh, this is cut to a beat or whatever. Um, So when you start to switch it up a bit and start to bend and break the rules, make your own rules, they don't really know, they don't know what's wrong or what's going on, but something's going on Mm -hmm. and they don't know. I find them frequently drawn to things and I don't know why. Exactly. One thing you you actually said to me, this might've been years ago, um, I think it was about, art and taste and style. And you said that you just, you can walk into a museum and you just know what you like. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge Absolutely. thing for you. Absolutely. Can you talk to that a bit? Let's say, let's say I'm in a clothing store. I spend very little time because it's hard for me to say yes. It's very easy for me to say no. And I think, I'm not sure why that's a, that's a good question. Have you always been like that? I think I have, I have always been, um, I've always known what I dislike. I've always known, or not, not necessarily that I dislike that something isn't for me. Right. You know, I think a lot of people sort of have blunder years, like where they look back and they're like, I can't believe I made my hair like that. I can't believe I dressed like that because you're trying to fit into the norm. And 
you don't, you don't want to do things because that's what other people say is the right thing to do. I think you should, you know, easier said than done. Try to do things because you like them. Yeah. Is there anything that you've been doing recently that has been out of the norm for you that you find you are enjoying more? Like, but maybe something that challenges you, but something that like, because we're constantly evolving and changing. So has your taste, do you find that your taste does change sometimes or maybe activities or different styles of music? I think so. I think um, music is a great example. Like Mm -hmm. my taste in music Mm -hmm. definitely does change. Like what, what are you into these days? It's called classical crossover. Okay, I'm I'm gonna need a playlist because that sounds fantastic. It's really good. I mean, it's it's count. It has all the all the uh, melodic intricacies of classical music in different variations um, and sections and parts. But it's almost like structured as a pop song. So they're mm. not like super long. So like you can you can really get into it, and mm. it's almost like it's almost like pop classical pop music but way more interesting if i just said like classical pop music you know what i mean like maybe maybe we can um you can find a track that you like and put it in a link in the description yeah yeah i mean one one guy is olifer arnold's and he put out a new album called remember um in the summer and it's just amazing it i'm pretty sure it's called a classical crossover very cool um some people call it like new age music. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't really. Would you say it's uh, dense or simple? Is it complex? It's simple. I'd say it's simple in the sound design and the instrumentation, but complex in the, it's, it's more about, at least with um, Olafur Arnold's, his music is more about, you know, it's just like long kind of drawn out, um, notes, you know, cello, uh, viola, violin, um, you know, they're all playing together, long drawn out notes, but he's trying to capture the performance, right? So it's more about hearing tension within one single note. So when I'm listening to it, I'm like, I'm extremely captivated by just like the sound and the emotion. Um, you know, I watched the behind the scenes thing. Um, on him creating the album and, and he, he was recording in, um, I think it's called Air Studios in London, England. And that day it was, you know, in the middle of winter, the players come in and he was saying, you know, they're all bundled up. And he was saying that like, they're a little cold and he loved it because he, you could hear that their fingers were a little stiff and cold on the strings and he wanted to capture that. So it's, it's going very deep, you know what I mean? Where it's more about the sound and the performance rather than a complex melody or rhythms and stuff. I mean, there is that. Um, But yeah, I'm getting with my music. I'm trying to get to a place of refinement where it's not so much about all the layers and and all these things. It's about capturing a moment um, through, through sound design and creating an emotion through sound. And it can just be one piano, but what are, you know, what's that melody or that chord progression or the way that that piano is mic'd that kind of conveys a specific tone 
or emotion, right? So that that's where I'm trying to get it, get to as a composer and, and as a, an artist and as a musician for our films um, is taking the, mu- like not making it more complex, but making it more complex in the sense of going deeper in the performance and the sound design to get to like a new level. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I think um, it's very interesting that you can kind of influence mood through your music. I wouldn't say control mood because it's open to interpretation. Similarly, um, I'm sure the things you love about your films would be very different from the things I love about your films. Right. But at the same time, they're still driven from a similar place. So it's very interesting that you're able to do that. And you're, you're talking a lot about sound design. And I think um, that must really help your filmmaking, especially your editing, understanding how to, like if you kind of think about sound, it's almost like you're within a cube. You, you know, you can move things back, you can bring things forward, you can mm-hmm. move things, you can pan things. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you find, so you're in music first. I, I know you, yeah. you always dabbled with filmmaking. Like it's not a new thing by any means. You've always sort of been into it. But did you find the most important skill set you had was music when it came to making films? I think so. To be honest, and maybe this gets overlooked, but I think one of my most important skill sets when it comes to making films is just being a nice person and being and like knowing that you have to be a nice person because no one wants to work with you in ultimate, you know, no one wants to work with you if you're not a good person. And I love it. And a good person to be around. You know what I mean? Um, even you're, even if you're a lone wolf and you're just doing it by yourself, I realized that I can't be approaching things from a negative headspace or dealing with people when I'm in a bad place or I just have like a weird attitude, you know, Hmm. um, not to say you have to be chip and cheery and, you know, be on the up and up all the time. There's a time and place for that, but, and I I wouldn't, maybe, maybe it's not even a skill set, but it's, it's a piece of knowledge that just, just knowing like you have to be chill, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Cause no one wants to work with someone that's not chill. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but the, but with my process with music and editing, um, it's pretty unique because I actually go back and forth between the score that I'm composing and, and arranging in Logic and Premiere where I'm editing the film. So I kind of go back and forth and I can change things um, and make things fit and build tension or you know, create a release or, or whatever that might be. Um, so you, you, you could say he built something in concert. <laughs> there you go <laughs> building them in concert um so yeah i i, I guess you could say music is a, a, a good skill set to have go you know going into making films mm-hmm. um but yeah being a good person treating others the way that you'd want to be treated um that has allowed me to be true to myself where i don't need to be someone or think that I'm something else than I actually am just being okay with who you are as a big thing. Um, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Cause you know what, man, like, especially with, you know, this heightened reality kind of style of filmmaking. Um, and, and I've heard this a lot with photography and different photographers that I've spoken with. It's like, you have, you're only going to get back 
what you put out as far as working with people in real life through documentary filmmaking or street photography or even in a studio where it's all mm. set up and people are being paid to be there, you know, and everyone's happy. But if you're not being open and allowing yourself to be vulnerable, then how can you expect your subject to be open and allow, uh, and for them to allow themselves to be vulnerable? You can't, right? And they won't. No one's just going to tell you their life story if you don't, you know, put your guard down and share a little bit about yourself, right? Um, and that's a huge thing that I've learned. Um, and ultimately with documentary filmmaking, you're capturing a performance, right? Even though it is real life, mm-hmm. it is, you're still, it's, it's, it's a performance. You've, you've mentioned uh, quite a few actually really interesting points here. The first one I want to talk about is um, being a good person. I think mm-hmm. that's just in life, just, yeah. And something that really helps me that I kind of discovered recently was try to see people's intentions as opposed to their actions. We tend to judge other people on their actions and judge ourselves on our intentions. So say I I somehow slighted you like I didn't, who knows? Like, for example, if I had not showed up to this podcast, maybe my, in in my head, my excuse could be, uh, I was nervous. I didn't want to do it. But then you would have thought it it would have, so I would have thought I had good intentions, but from your perspective, you probably would have been like, doesn't he value my time? Like, why why isn't he showing up? You know, but if you were like, oh, he was probably scared. You know what I mean? It's so much easier. Your life is so much easier. Mm -hmm. If you, if you like that, that didn't happen. Yeah. yeah, Just, just using an an example. Um, If you try to see people's intentions, it's much easier to forgive them. If you can forgive people, it's so much easier to live. Yeah. Try to be a positive person. Try to see their intentions. Very rare people are out to get you. You know, if people, ever, people really. are worried about themselves, right? Yeah. Like, they, what are they? Why are they going to go to their way to hurt you, right? So that that helps me a lot. Is try to uh, try to look at things in terms of intention, and that helps. That helps me stay positive. And That's stay good. Stay positive, yeah. right? That's really good. Okay, so uh, another thing that you mentioned was um, y- it's important for you to allow yourself to be vulnerable. I find to get the most out of my talent. For example, if I'm in, if I'm in the studio with the rapper in there, you know, they're, we're doing stuff, something for their album cover or for social media or whatever. I try to talk to them about their creative process. I think people, it, the things you create are so much better if you can somehow make them real as opposed to forcing a pose it's those little moments between poses that where the magic happened, the yeah. decisive moment. You have someone sitting, standing there smiling and then they're about to do another pose. It's that little millisecond where they're, they're not moving, but they're about to, where they're natural. Mm. So for example, not for example, um, I like to ask people, like for, especially if it's a musician or a, 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 some sort of creative or anything. So what's your creative process? Okay, let, let, let's let's play this game. Yeah. Okay. So so Ryan, oh let's let's pretend uh, I was taking you you I was taking images for the podcast. Mm-hmm. We were building the website a little bit or something, and yeah. you wanted to show this is a really beautiful room we're in. It has a cool light above us. You have a screen, um, beautiful white 
studio monitors with a keyboard and a bunch of really cool things around. I, there's two carpets on the floor, nice couch. It, it's a nice setting, right? Like it's, yeah. it, it is actually quite picturesque. Um, but I would ask, um, okay, why, why, why are you making a podcast? Right? Like what, what, what were the steps that led you to making a podcast? Is there anything that you're, what within you drove you to make a podcast? You know, those sort of mm-hmm. questions as opposed to, okay, where do you want to sit? Right. You know, I'd rather flesh out. Is there something like within yourself? Is there something you're trying to achieve with this? Right. What? Cause, cause then you almost see that their eyes look down, they're looking inside. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going a little deeper in their I mean, it's that question of why. 100%. And you build up to why, who, what, where, when, yeah. why. I guess how is the last one, but we'll, we'll, we'll pretend well, why is the last yeah, one. Well, <laughs> well, sometimes people don't even know why they're 100%. doing it. They're Dude, just doing I, it, right? 100%. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. No, There's something no, actually quite noble in that, I think. Yeah, but I'm saying when you ask them why, then you get that expression where they are looking inward and they're like, Absolutely. yeah, why? Sometimes people just need to be asked the right question mm-hmm. and you can get amazing things out of them for sure. And I think it's important to, um, break down those barriers, yeah. get comfortable, especially, um, you have to do it quickly. You know, when, when people are getting paid, there's another thing I learned in the construction yeah. industry is, um, schedule is the most expensive thing. It's really expensive to build a building. You need to build, say you want to build a condo. There's tens of millions of dollars worth of concrete. There's tens of millions of dollars worth of mechanical engineering stuff, electronics and all that jazz. There's a crane, but those costs are super high. But the most important thing is staying on schedule because as soon as you go a week longer, that's a week longer crane rental. That's a week longer truck rental. uh, Employees, everything. As soon as you're going too long. So you got to get things done on time. You got to get things done. Right. Yeah. And so if there's anything you can do, I think it's important to plan to figure things out at the start, to take a little bit more time at the start of the day to get people comfortable, to get people open as opposed to fighting through it and sort of hoping for the best. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I would say even for yourself, if you want to have a productive day and you want to get things done, I mean, I learned this from my older brother, Brad, who's um, shout out Brad, who, yeah, who's a partner. I lost this creative um, with myself and my father, the three of us started it. Um, every morning he gets in, goes through his emails and he makes a list and every single day is a page on his notebook. I mean, of of things he needs to get done. Um, and he is one of the most focused, the most productive people that I know. And that's an amazing skill set. So I think that, you know, for me as a more creative person, and I like to kind of try to be in the moment and make, try to find my, my place where I can get into that, you know, state of flow and just kind of let it happen. Um, that's a huge thing because sometimes we don't have the means to just sit around and wait for things to happen to us. You know, you have to go out and do it. You have to get it done. Um, so that's a huge thing. Just make a list. That's a, that's a it. huge thing. It's so simple, but it really is a big thing. Um, and I, I also want to come back or loop back on what you said about 
the importance of finishing something that you started. I saw this amazing tweet. I'm sorry, I completely forget who tweeted it, but he was like some famous writer um, that I follow. Um, and he said, the most important thing in writing is simply finishing. Because he's, he, you know, he said, you can always go back and change it. You can tweak it, you can adjust it, you can do whatever. Um, but he said, so many people like get caught up on the simple act of actually just doing it and writing it down. It doesn't have to be perfect or even just people, you know, I find myself, I'm just trying to, I'm like, I'm, I am just like the worst writer. <laughs> I'm getting better, but I, because I just get so hung up on whatever I write down has to be good and it has to make sense. And it, you know, has to be thought out where that tweet kind of changed my mentality in the way that I'm now approaching writing where I don't care. I'm just going to write it down, whatever I'm thinking. It doesn't have to necessarily make sense, but it'll make enough sense. And I can always go back and refine it. So it's more meaningful. It's more impactful. It has more value in that specific sentence or whatever it is. Um, so I think that's a huge thing, right? It's a, had a, a similar shift in paradigm as you have where I think we're similar in a sense that we're a bit of a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. I think that has a, a positive trait in a lot of ways, but it can be a detriment to productivity. But my best writing, my best say I'm writing copy for something or if I'm any, anything, writing yeah. anything. Um, my best work is when I just bang it out, just write it, whatever comes to mind. Don't even think about it. Just write whatever comes to mind. That's my best work. hundred mm -hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. And then I can refine it. I often don't. I often just leave it. Just go, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Cool. But that's that's how I work, you know? Um, just sort of puke it out on paper and you get what you get, what you get, right? So for those that are at a cozy job, they're happy where they're at, or maybe they're unhappy where they're at. But for those people that, want to progress in their craft or are debating pursuing um, their dreams or photography or filmmaking or, or writing, whatever that might be. What is some advice or what's something that helped you kind of get over or to like conquer your fears of leaving your comfortable job um, and going out and freelancing and starting your own business and networking um, all these kind of frightening things that you have to do in this day and age to make money as a creative. Um, what is something that has helped you or it, even just like a mindset or maybe it was a quote or, you know, what, what's something that helped you kind of conquer, conquer your fears and what's some advice that you could probably give someone? For example, there's, there's a lot of things you have to get over. You have to, but you have to, enjoy failure you have to want to fail because that's how that's how you grow that's how you improve right if you did everything perfectly you just do it the same way every time mm -hmm. but if something doesn't go the way you want it to go that's when you build that's a scary thing to do that's something i still i'm not saying i do that right you know <laughs> easier said than done right yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but uh actual practical advice i would say keep your job until, until, until you're at a point where you can't do both. I think especially the longer you stay 
working, the longer you stay in a professional setting, whatever it is, waiting tables, stack money, the, the, like the longer you work, the longer you can, if you feel like you can do both, having a safety net really goes a long way. And so, you know, spend, there's things you're going to have to give up. The things that I give up, I don't party, I don't go out, I don't see people. Yeah. I do, but like not, not like I could be because if you, if you want something, you have to focus on it. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's great advice. I know Gary V actually gives very similar advice. Um, big inspiration of mine. Yeah. You know, it's important to save as much money as you can because mm-hmm. it's hard out there. Um, and another thing is, yeah, try to do both. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Gary V says like, you know, you, you can wake up an hour earlier, mm-hmm. right? Or you can work on it. So you get home at, you know, five or six, you can eat dinner and then work on it till 10 or 12, you know? Um, for me, if I'm starting up kind of like a side project or a creative idea that, or project that I want to almost just test out, I kind of do it sometimes um, where I'll have an idea, but I don't know if it's something I should 100% pursue and really, you know, put my all into and start sinking some more time and dollars into it. What I do is I'll just wake up an hour earlier and I'll just work on it for an hour or two before my kids get up and before my day starts. Right. Um, but yeah, that means sometimes I'm up at four or five in the morning. Right. And in a week I can get in an extra day's worth of, of work and time. And it's actually highly productive time because I'm alone. You know, I've just woken up. My head's actually quite clear. I have a coffee. I enjoy it. Um, but you know, at the end, end of the week, I've almost worked a, an extra day that I normally wouldn't have. And I've put in an extra day into a project or an idea just to, to kind of get it off the ground, you know? Um, so I'm not losing sight and focus of kind of like my meat and potatoes of our business. Right. Um, so that's, that's something that works for me. And I think that kind of is runs, uh, in parallel with what you're saying. Discipline. Discipline. It's not easy. It's not meant to be easy or else everyone would be doing it. Right. Um, and just work hard. That's it. And get better. Big thanks to John for coming into the studio today. Check out his beautiful work on Instagram at underscore jflow or on his website, www.jflowtography.com. All the links will be in the show notes. So if you know someone that might be considering leaving their nine to five job and pursuing their art full time, please share this episode with them. John raised some valuable points that I wish I heard when I was starting out. And I think that person would benefit greatly from. Workshop is part of the Lossless Podcast Network, a podcast production studio and network based in Toronto. I'm Ryan Freeman, filmmaker and music composer. Thanks for listening.